Badger State Banner, 28 June, 1894. While Mrs. John Manning was picking berries a short distance from Acadia, she came face to face with a large she-wolf with a number of whelps. The woman was terribly frightened, her screams attracting the attention of some workmen nearby who carried her home. She's in critical condition, and it is feared she will lose her reason. Blind Granny Goody's Hairy Lips. I tells you this here story so y'all knowed. I tells like was told me. Told me by my pap, and his pap told him, and that's how that go. That foggy place there in the mire, by them bare berries, all a-tangle in the briar down and all muddy with the slime and weedy and... The snakes and mugs. Many a body lies in it. Cause that's where they all days throw them babies they don't want in. That place them boys like you goes and gets feet sucked up in the mud. Sucks the whole bodies down. Downs all the way to the tops of urine heads. And swallows you up. So don't be going there, or be dead for sure. I know that for sure. But if and you go, wants to get rich, you gotta get that little island out there in them bogs where old blind Granny Goody's got the house. And when she's a dancing and a singing them crazy witchy songs, you gotta creeps up. And afore she gets to seed you with them pearly, pearly eyes, you gotta grabs the whiskers off of her hairy lips, rips them off, no matter how she's hollers, and puts a hurt on you, and runs like the devil, runs like the devil, lessen she grab yous. Oh, God, oh, mercy, if she done that. No, no, no. Runs. Runs like the devil, runs and brings them back. And don't let her seed you all with them pearly, pearly eyes. Don't do that. 
And if you all get them whiskers, and taint dead, nor good for dead as some gets, then this is gonna happen. Day is gonna come. Day is gonna come, and then y'all gets it. Yes, sir. Gets it. He spat tobacco into the brass platoon, and it rang like a bell. Yes, sir. Then rising up from the barrel from which he had perched himself for preaching, he added this benediction. If y'all got the guts. But I concede none of y'all got the stomach punks is all. Look at them puny sissy arms. That's all you got. So the old Jack told the story to the boys at the general store and insulted them. And no one said a word, not even the grown-ups who were listening, who the boys could see were not signaling by any sly wink or smirking aside, like they might, to hint any disbelief or sarcasm at anything the Jack had said. Little Lynch was especially and keenly interested. Once outside, of course, the other boys said it was just lies and bullshit, what the old Jack had said. But Little Lynch told his big brother P proudly, though he was the littlest and youngest of the whole bunch of them, I can do it certain. P shook his head. Another boy in the group who said nothing thought inside his own head he was going to beat them to it. Seeing how little Lynch was maybe six, hardly seven, who was he to go get blind Granny Goody's whiskers, he thought in his head. I'll do it for he can get up to it. But he said nothing out loud. The boys only found out the next day what the boy had done. When they went to his house to get him to come out so they could go to the woods and play war with their daddy's old soldier gear and hats, his mother came to the door and looked like she'd had the ghost taken right out of her. She just said nothing but came out and sat on the porch and rocked in a rocking chair and sang to herself some hymn. And the boys looked inside the house and saw their friend laying in the dark on a daybed there. They crept in and saw he had gone all white as wash. His hair had a huge bald spot on the side above his left ear and a shock of withered white hair bolted out from it, like his hair had been bleached, killed to the roots by something acid or some other thing splashed onto the side of his head. His eyes, cloudy like Aggies with a swirl of milk in the middle, did not see the boys looking down at him. 
He said nothing but stared at the ceiling, his mouth wet and lolling like an idiot. The boys crept out the back of the house because they did not want to talk to his mom, who was still rocking and singing in a churchy hem to herself on the porch. The old Jack at the general store laughed at them when they came in to buy some penny candy and, and shook his head at them and grinned. They ran outside and ate the candy by wagons and horses while Pee volunteered to go back and find out what the old Jack knew. Pee came back looking like he had when he had come back from his baby sister's funeral last summer and told them. The boy had gone to Granny Goody. He got found by his father and his uncles, looking for him after he'd been discovered missing from his bed, half sucked up in the bog last night, whitened and blinded just like the boys had seen him. Nothing more was known, and the grown-ups talked among themselves so the children could not hear, but the truth was obvious to the boys. I don't care said Little Lynch. I ain't afraid. P took his little brother by the shoulders and said, You promise me. His eyes burned into his little brother. You don't go trying that. Little Lynch promised, frightened a moment because his big brother was frightened. But he knew he would not stay frightened. He knew that once he was not scared... He would try, no matter what he promised, because he believed he could do it. And he would show the boys that he was just as big as they were. Bigger. All that day the boys played the War of the Rebellion, and as usual the ones who lost were always the most heroic and had the most fun. Because being righteous is boring and dying is dramatic. Little Lynch, who always had to play the drummer boy, sometimes got to carry a flag but never got to use a gun, had time to scheme in his little head. Scheming came good to him in compensation for his size. He was better at it than any of the other boys, and they always asked him for the idea if they were going to steal something or play a trick. He knew the place, Little Lynch thought. He knew the bog for certain, and there was that old and rotten half-a-dock there where somebody must have once launched boats or rafts, and where he had his suspicions someone still did, because he and others had seen the prints on the muddy bank, hugeish prints, roundish like a big bear's paw, but with a hobnailed heel you could clearly make out. So in his scheme, he would set out from there. And he would do it later in the afternoon, not nighttime like that other boy, who must have got lost or fell in or something that he did not want to think about. He was not the sort to let his imagination grope on things at any rate, for little Lynch was a practical little boy. He knew he needed a boat or something. And this he most carefully considered, and he hit upon an idea soon, and then he thought out the rest of it. Though they said that Granny Goody was blind, what if she was not? 
Maybe she had an evil eye. Maybe she did with her evil eye and you were done for. So he thought, I'll get out of there for dark. And I reconnoitre. And he thought he would not just rush headlong at her and grab a whisker, but would watch and bide his time and seize the opportunity when it was best for his success and his escape. He was satisfied with this scheme and set about that afternoon to get the boat he had conceived. His papa took a bath every Saturday night, and only Saturday nights, standing naked in the wooden wash tub while his mama poured the warm water on him and washed him with the lye soap she used for the clothes. That wash tub was hard to move until Little Lynch got it on its side so he could roll it, but then he rolled it mostly easily into the woods and to the bog. Though the tub was as tall as he was when he rolled it. Bigger, actually. It never got far away from him, even on a slope, because it would tip over and settle upside or downside, and he'd have to right it by main force and set to roll it along again. He guessed that he may take a day to look-see and spy out Granny, and then the next day grab the whisker, and he should have to get the washtub back before his mama and papa noticed, but he schemed even for that eventuality and knew who to blame and how, and in half of himself he almost hoped he would get found out. It was such a good trick. When he got it to the half-dock by the bog... He got it in with a grunt or two and himself got in it, though the mud tried to hold on to his leg and pulled on it hard. The washtub was a little leaky, but not so that he worried. He had not thought of a paddle, but he found he could splash his hands and just grab a cattail or bush and pull and shove himself through the maze of it. He took a bearing looking behind him from where he left, seeing where and how the, the trees broke at the bog's edge, and saw a yellowy poplar that must be rooted in the water, and that would be his beacon for home. He thought he probably could distinguish it in the dusk, as that was the plan for when he would return. He found himself quickly lost, admired, and concluded no one would go the way he did, but he still saw the yellowy poplar behind him and made his way back to the dock. He got out and saw the wash tub was in a slobber of duckweed and was not going to drift, so he went to the woods and looked for a dead branch to use. He found a good long one, not too rotten, near the yellowy poplar, and hurried to get back to the wash tub to set off before too much sun was gone. He stopped a moment to look carefully and saw that there were spaces in the bog between the bearberry bushes and cattails and doomed saplings where water showed open and looked like the duckweed had been disturbed, pushed aside by something going through it, and there was a current to the water there. Whatever its cause, it was a path without a track. No knowing where it took you, but it can take you somewhere and passage in the main bog would be like trekking a jungle 
and that way even Moose won't go. He imagined it might be Moose that made it, but it was the wrong season for Moose. Could be blind Granny Goody, he thought. But then he thought she couldn't do it if she was blind. Unless she weren't blind, he thought again. He was proved right to try these disturbed waters where the duckweed was spread. He could see a passage that way, and it could not be a natural thing, unless there were a hidden spring, but the water felt warm to his hand, and he knew spring water ran cold. He wondered if maybe it had been the other boy who had done this, but he knew that nobody could walk in this. He had a hard enough time just punting with the poplar pole, it often getting grabbed up by the slimy mud. Bubbles of rot often burped up where he poked it and smelled like his papa's feet. He thought that once he got rich, he would take care of all of them and get his papa a new shotgun and his mama a brand new, big, genuine leather gold-leaf Bible like the preacher had. That is when he saw the smoke from the cabin's chimney. And oddly, he was neither excited nor afraid. He was more curious. And if he were an older boy, you might say he was cynically inclined. But he was one to be strongly determined and not much defeated by any consequences because always cunning to anticipate them, he would be little surprised or dismayed by any outcome. He thought things out, and he expected things in real terms. Most folks can take a view of reality, but when seeing things they do not expect are tripped up by their own minds. And seeing things that cannot possibly be real, or are just plain wrong, can tear apart some minds. Little Lynch, always scheming it out, believed he could outfigure the devil himself. And even when he was wrong, it did not worry him. He took a last long look back from whence he came to memorize landmarks for his return. The yellowy poplar could not be seen, but he knew where he had turned away from it. The smoke in the chimney was white, so he wondered if somebody cut cords of wood for the old lady. Those burning must be long seasoned in their stack to be so dry. It confirmed his guess that she was not blind at all. He got to the island soon enough, and there was still enough daylight to get a good look and get back before dark. He pulled the wash tub up just enough to keep it from drifting, but ready to shove off in a hurry if he needed. He put the poplar pole in a ready place. A house without windows was centered on the small island. Bearberry brambles embrangled the shore, and beyond them curtains of cattails and hummocks of sedge. There was no clear path in, but the house itself stood alone under a solitary great oak tree, and was cleared to the dirt all around it like a big town square. At some fifty paces from the front door of her house, a doorway that had no door, there was a huge heap of dead tree limbs and branches. 
When he was puzzling on it, blind Granny Goody herself came trundling out from behind the far side of the house, dragging a long, dead tree limb with its dead leaves rasping in the dirt. Bent and crooked as a blighted tree, she had one dead leg limb herself, which she dragged in the dirt with a deformed foot as she lurched monstrously toward the pile. She was speaking to herself. He could not make it out, but for the obscenities. She was older than sin, he thought, and uglier than a fiend from hell. Her wild hair was white, and when he moved and some dead twigs cracked beneath his step, she turned to look at him. Her squinty eyes showed cataracts, cloudy like an aggie with a milky swirl in the center. He did not move. He saw she could not see him, but she listened like a cat. She said something, and cackled in laughter, and went back to hauling wastewood to the pile from somewhere behind her house. Little Lentz watched for some time, creeping about the house to get the lay of it. He discovered it was not an island after all, but that at least sometimes when the bog dropped, there was a neck of dry land and a well-worn footpath into the wilderness. And those mostly boggy places that the town called the mire, and in which no one had tried to farm, and whose wood was worthless trash, mostly spindly tamarack. Presently he went back to his washtub and pushed off softly into the bog and made his way back. It was not difficult, but he knew he could not do it in the dark. That night in bed with his brother, half his self wanted to tell him, half his self relished what he had done, and that no one knew. He slept well for all of that, certain of himself. There was nothing to do, he knew, but to stay out all night the next night and watch Granny Goody for the chance to grab a whisker. He had a good idea first thing in the morning and made a deal with a boy he knew that they would pretend to go snarking coon that night, but that they would not, or at least he himself would not, and made the boy to promise not to tell, but that the boy would get another boy to go with him instead so that the whole scheme would look true if anybody's mama were to check them out. This being done, little Lynch got some sandwiches made and his papa's army canteen filled with pump water and wasted the time of day until it was getting dusk and still enough time to get to the island before dark. This he accomplished easily, and he ensconced himself like an Indian scout in the brambles and abided the falling dark, nibbling sandwiches, sipping from the canteen that made the water taste like tin. Granny Goody's heap of brush and tree waste was now big as her house, he thought, and she was not to be seen. But there was a kerosene lamplight seen through the open doorway of her house that got yellower and brighter as it grew darker outside. It was not until midnight that she came out, 
and he could not hear her coming for all the frogs croaking and the cicadas buzzing and the mosquitoes at his ears. But all the noise stopped like a fright when she came out with the kerosene lantern. Even the mosquitoes backed away. She muttered and cursed and cackled to herself. Little Lenge put down everything he carried and crept closer for a better look. Somehow, in a manner he did not witness as he crawled closer, Granny Goody lit the heap of brush and waste for a bonfire. Dry as it was, it soon flared into the sky and made the clearing bright as day, though an eerie blackness surrounded it. The heat of the fire could be felt at the brush where he hid and shriveled the leaves upon them. Now Granny Goody began to sing. Old witch, old witch, she lives in a ditch and combs her hair with a hickory switch. And as I said, she's very fat. And when she walks, she jumps like a cat. Oh, she jumps like a cat. Oh, she jumps like a cat. And to his amazed witness... Little Lynch saw Granny leaping, spry as a young girl, not lame in the leg that she had been a moment ago, not bent and blighted as she had been. She jumped around the fire, circling it in mad and merry dancing. As she came around the third time, Little Lynch saw her stopping at cardinal points and facing from her fire, lift her skirt and cackle with a wicked laughter. In this way, she came to face him as he crouched beyond the brush and lifted her skirt and showed her body to him. And there, between her legs, Little Lynch saw it, the beard between her legs. And in the beard, he saw the lips, like a mouth that was not sidewise, but slit between her legs and into her buttocks, as he guessed. She paused, looking sideways with a grin, and when he was ready to run in and take a whisker, she looked at him, and he, thinking it the best, averted his eyes, and she dropped her skirt and said, Guy, guy, poke him in the eye, put him on the fire top, put him there and let him fry, put him there and watch him die. She paused, then cackled in her shrill laughter, and resumed to dance as she had before. Again she returned and raised her skirt and stood with her grinning face sideways to him, and he knew he had but one chance, so he took it, and ran up even as she looked at him, and keeping his eyes averted, but fastened to his target, he grabbed a bunch of whiskers on her beard and yanked as many as he could off her lips and ran back to the brush. She yowled and cursed, but quickly cackled in wild laughter and went back to dancing a circle about the bonfire. Little Inch quickly pushed off with the washing tub, and in the middle of the bog stopped and looked back and listened as she danced round the bonfire until it subsided and collapsed to embers, and she was silent. He dared not try to find his way in the dark, 
but slept curled up in the wash tub until a dawning light made the trackless path in the bog perceptible, and he tacked to the star of the yellowy poplar on the safe shore of his escape. Do not wonder that blind Granny Goody is a witch. Do not wonder how obscene she is. It lies in the seeds of time and their perpetual harvest, for it's told that she who nurtures all seeds and cereals, those which in their nature nourish all that are alive, she whom in the language of our language is called giver, Demeter, gave a daughter whom a wicked pedophile abducted as that innocent child was picking flowers in a meadow with her playmates one autumn afternoon. Thence Demeter looked the whole world over for her lost daughter and never would find her, for she'd been taken down into the cell of darkness under the earth. In despair, she stopped at last, by chance, in the small farming town of Eleusis. Demeter rested on the apron of a natural well there, and Balbo, an unimportant woman, saw her and knew her grief and tried to console her, offering her something to drink, but Demeter was too depressed to respond. Balbo, offended and frustrated, thinking to herself, who is this woman who's never lost a child, tried to provoke Demeter with remarks. And when Demeter finally wearily looked up, Balbo lifted her skirt, displaying herself obscenely, the mocking portal of possibilities. Some say she had painted eyes and a nose on her belly for this joke. In any case, Balbo laughed, and Demeter laughed too. This one, like Demeter, endures. Chrysalis of self within the self, who does not know that she possesses it, a self within which manifests who I am, yet is before and beyond who I am. The given self, not the gotten self, not the self-made self. This self becomes Granny Goody, who becomes like that eternal given one, one gay in dance and obscene, mocking the portal of possibilities. So wake up, young lovers, the whole day.